I think it's just acknowledging what everybody wants. I think that that's probably also the most important part of our job is listening. Just listen to what your clients want. And by listening to them, it doesn't matter who wants what, everybody feels heard. And that's when there's success in a transaction and in finding a perfect property. Welcome to episode 99 of the AFT Construction Podcast, and I'm your host, Brad Levitt. And in this episode, I speak with Sam Moore and Jennifer Krugelos of AZ Luxury Home Group. And Jennifer and Sam are two realtors here in town in Paradise Valley, uh, former clients as well. We worked with them. I've known them for many years now. And I wanted to bring them on to speak about the real estate market. We've all seen it fluctuate quickly. A lot of people are putting money into real estate. People are moving due to COVID. How's that changing not only here locally in Phoenix, but on a national level? And also a little bit more about that contractor, designer, realtor relationship. Why is it important to have realtors on your side and to be involved in the transactions and the conversations early on in design? And to ask their opinion, especially if you're building spec homes or doing investing, how key that is. And then also, when you think about construction, you know a lot of our clients are driving about price, 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 right? But there's so much more to that whole relationship with the client, with the vendors, the trade partners, very similar to realty. In this episode, you're really going to benefit just understanding a little bit about that realtor mentality, right? When you're thinking about how to stage a home, the value of the home, what goes into that whole process. And really life comes down to expectations in relationships, in business transactions. The more due diligence, the more expectations we set are absolutely key. And Jennifer and Sam are big on this. And they talk about how that experience has changed over the years as a realtor to set better expectations. So without further ado, let's get started. So welcome today to Construction Podcast. I'm Brad Levitt. And today we have two special guests with us. We have Jennifer Karugalos and we have Sam Moore. Welcome, Jennifer and Sam. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having us. I'm excited to have you. So a little background. So uh, Sam and Jennifer, they're both realtors uh, with Launch and they're part of AZ Luxury Home Group. And I've known Jennifer and Sam for a long time. I mean, quite a few years now, probably four years or so. I know we connect on Instagram. In fact, Jennifer and I have worked together on your house, so there's some history there between all of us. But to get started, um, what's it like right now? How is the current real estate market? It's wild. It changes. It feels like hourly at this point. Um, as of this morning at 7 a.m., there were just over 4,300 single-family active properties in Maricopa County. Um, so it shows you that and typically, I mean, we've seen around like 10, 12,000 a few years ago. So it really shows you we're running at such a deficit right now. It's interesting because, and, and I believe there's been times where it's been upwards of 20,000, am I not mistaken? And so mm-hmm. right now, if you're dealing with inventory of 4,000 homes, Maricopa, for, to put in perspective, I mean, Phoenix, if you take in Maricopa County, we're one of the biggest cities in the US. Well, I don't know, we're top five, I think. Phoenix is pretty big. So, how, how does that put a constraint on you both when you have clients trying to find property, trying to find a home, and you only have 4,000 to choose from? Because we all know that all those 4,000 are not going to be prime real estate, right. greatest locations. They, they need some TLC. I'm sure a lot of them, you know, so how's that? Well, and I will say 4,300 is, is double what we were just back in March. Oh, wow. So the inventory is starting to tick up. You know, a lot of sellers are seeing what they can get for their house in a seller's market and starting to put... So more inventory is coming to market, which is really nice because it was even more back in, in the first two quarters of this year, it was nearly impossible to find a buyer at home. That's interesting. So when you talk about the seller's market, how does that change your mindset when you're representing a buyer? You know, if you only have 2000 homes and now it's 4,000, is it, has it grown because not so much there's less transactions, but people are asking more for their home? Yeah, people are. So sellers, I think they saw this demand, right, that came into town, largely in part due to COVID. And people that were just kind of having these mass exoduses from these major cities, they wanted more space, they wanted a place that maybe they felt they could move around a little more freely. Um, So sellers felt like, wow, not only can I get a premium, but I mean, I can really push the ceiling on this. And some sellers were right. You know, they had a beautiful property, a great product, and other sellers were just robbing people and trying to see what they could get away with. So for us having buyers in that market, it was really important for us to be able to go in, kind of dissect a property, 
and pick out, you know, the points that, hey, listen, this is something that actually does need a lot of work that you're still paying this premium price for. How can we get you into this house, but still at a price that you can maybe take care of some of these other items that this seller has not? So I think the biggest thing with representing buyers in this market is making sure that you're up front and that they understand what they're getting into. Because it's not the typical market. You can't go look at 10 homes, spend the night to think about it, maybe go back again on the weekend. You're going, you're seeing it. And if you like it, you need to move extremely quickly and be ready to go. Well, this is, I'm glad you brought that up, Sam. And and to your point, Jennifer, what's interesting is, so you mentioned, I mean, it's more of I don't want to say impulse, but you have to act quickly if there's something good. But that puts a little bit more pressure on you both because you can't just, um, for the sake of that transaction, lead a customer to a house that you know is probably a bad deal or needs a lot of work, as you mentioned. And so how have you built your understanding in the market as far as knowing location or cost to remodel, right? Or what's it going to take to get this house up to where it needs to be? Because I know you're both very savvy. So what's that background? How did you understand a little bit more of behind just the real estate transaction itself. So any anytime you go into a real estate transaction, typically there is a home inspection that happens. And I feel like regardless of the market, the home inspections, you learn something new every time. And using that part of a transaction just as a real learning tool and you kind of sharpen your your skills. You know, it's funny, Sam and I were talking the other day about pool equipment. And how maybe at the beginning of our careers, you know, you look at pool equipment and you're like, yeah, it looks fried or it looks brand new. Like, it looks (laughs) great. But now, you know, we're able to look at it and we know what the heater is. We know where the pump is. You know, you just you just start to learn so much more about the inner workings of every system of a home. We're a little different than the average realtor. Because, yes, we do learn a lot during the inspection period and having a great inspector who knows about building and knows about quality of construction and knows about, you know, the systems of a home is important, but we work with a lot of investors. So we know more than the average realtor just because we're in and out of homes at every phase. So we work with builders and investors. We see what it looks like at framing, what it looks like when you pour the slab, what it looks like when rough plumbing Plumbing. goes in and, and so forth. So we're a little different in that aspect. Um, we didn't start that way, but we, when we did start working with builders and investors, loved it so much. We really pushed our business in that direction because we enjoyed it so much. Yeah. It's interesting because I know we met that way. I mean, you were looking at some properties you had, even some land and the, you know, the investment side. And so being involved from day one with the general contractor and understanding and I'm sure you put your influence in too as they're going through design. Okay, Sam and Jennifer, what should we put in here? How should we let the floor plan? Because you know the mark, you know what people are looking for. So that's key. And I, it, it's interesting you brought the pool equipment, Jennifer, because as you're thinking about that, I'm sure over time now you can look at things and say, well, I know what brand that is. And I can tell this is functioning. It's maybe not functioning, but even inside the house, like what appliances, what flooring? I mean, I'm sure you have an eye now where you've seen a lot of things that may wear and tear. And if the value is really there based on what the sales price of the house is. Mm -hmm. Well, and even just, you know, if somebody says to you, oh, there's a new roof on the house. Okay, well, that can mean a lot of different things to different people. Is the underlayment new? Are all the tiles new? Did they do the flashings? You know, is there a warranty that goes along with that? Is the warranty transferable? Is there a cost to that? You know, there's all these things that you learn. Sometimes it's uh, baptism by fire. But, you know, you learn all of these things. And that's just what helps you in each transaction moving forward to give that next buyer or seller the very best service that you can. I love those questions because you think about it. And you're probably similar to me. I look at this as a builder. And although we've been building for a long time and that's I've been raised in this. Every project, you, you make these little mistakes or oversights, if you will. You know, there's things we're all learning, right? It's a practice, if you will. And then you're like, okay, I'm not going to make that mistake again. I'm going to make sure that I, you know, dot my I's, cross my T's better the next time. I'm sure it's similar for you with the roofing where someone sets a new roof and not asking the proper questions. They may have a roof leak and you're like, dang it, why didn't I ask about that? Well, and a lot of times, too, buyers don't know the questions to ask and they look to their realtors as a point of, as their ex- expert. expert. Yeah. And so it's our job 
to dive into those different aspects of a home further for them and to get those answers for them. And again, it really is, I mean, the longer that you do something, the more perfected your craft gets and, you know, you know the questions to ask, you know where to look. And I think that that just makes everybody in the transaction feel a lot more comfortable. Yep. Consistently good makes you great, right? You have to be good over and over repetition. That's what makes you great. So with, you know, you mentioned this early on, Jennifer, too, with the clients where they're coming in COVID, you know, they're, they're leaving big cities, metropolis, and we've seen that as well. Because what's unique about Phoenix, although it's a big city, there's a lot of amenities, but it's spread out, right? There's, so people can be outside, they can hike, there's a lot of outdoors, even though it's kind of hot right now. Um, so where are you seeing most of the clients come from? How do they find you outside of the normal investor spec relationships that you have? So it's funny because pre-COVID, a lot of people coming from out of state were always California. That's just been a staple here in Phoenix. They're moving out of California in droves all the time. Um, I'm from there. I mean, it's true. I, I grew up in San Diego. Here I am in Phoenix. I love there's Phoenix. There's so, so many. Well, just our taxes are cheaper. Yep. It's it's Your easy to live here. Your style much better in Phoenix than San Diego. It's so right. easy to live here. We we have very little traffic, even, you know, now No that, natural disasters. Right. So it's just easy to live. So forever, people from California have moved here. During COVID, that changed. It's still California in droves, but now we're seeing a lot of um, the north, the northwest, everywhere in the northwest. So we've seen a lot from Seattle and Portland. Um, we're also seeing a lot from places we haven't seen before. So the um, Midwest and East Coast, which normally go down to Florida, if they're getting out of where they're living or they're buying a second home, it's normally Florida. That's kind of what they're familiar with. It's what they've always done. Now we're seeing a ton of buyers come from the Midwest, from Chicago, from Minnesota, from even New York City, um, which we have not seen before. And I think that that is mainly COVID related. You know, they were stuck in these tiny little apartments in Chicago, in New York City, and they came here for a couple months during COVID to get out of it and saw how nice it is to live here. Yeah. We had two buyers from Manhattan last summer that bought their houses over FaceTime. And the first <laughs> time that they stepped foot in their houses was after close when they were moving in. And one in particular said, you know, they shut our offices down for the next two years. They said, don't plan on coming back for two years. And so they had to make a real life choice and say, where are we going to take our kids? We need more space. It's not realistic to be in our 1300 square foot apartment with no backyard, with no backyard and no outdoor space. And so the quality of life really came into question for a lot of people. I love that you brought that up because one of my questions was going to be what, as, as you're dealing with from buyers from out of state, what are they looking for? So as you're guiding your investors, we'll come back to that. But you make a couple of points because I've seen the same thing. You know, a lot of our clients, we did have a lot of people from Wisconsin or Iowa, Nebraska, and that was common because they'd have, you know, winter homes here where it's cold there, summer, you know, California. We're seeing the same thing. We're seeing people come from Pittsburgh, New York, Boston, and usually they always went to Florida. Like they would never come to Arizona and they're coming here and you think about COVID, how that's changed our mentality. I know a lot of people ask, well, how's that changed the building industry? Well, in the past, we kind of got away from the formal dining room. We got a, away from home offices. And now everyone's like, I don't need one office. I need three offices. I need <laughs> my office, my spouses, and my kids. And then we also need the entertainment right outside. So if you're locked down and I, I, I have some peers even in Canada, and we've always had a lot of Canadians here, same thing with the mm -hmm. cold, but you know, younger families who aren't snowbirds that say we're moving to Arizona because our kids can't play sports. You know, they're totally restrictive in Canada. They need that flexibility. And so that's really changed now how we look at design, how we look at construction on how we're building these homes. So how, what are clients asking for when they're coming from New York? As you mentioned, you had two from Manhattan. What are primary things that they want as you're doing this connection via FaceTime with them? A pool. Yeah, they want a pool or at least access to one in the community, you know, depending on where you're coming from. If you're coming from a very urban setting, any sort of outdoor space, be it front yard living, backyard living, is a huge perk. And so people are loving something that has a little bit more lot size, maybe covered patio space. Um you know, on some of the larger, more luxury properties, you hear people wanting home gyms. 
They need the multiple offices. Maybe they need a kid's space that's separate from everything else as well. Um, Yeah, I would say people are definitely wanting bigger homes than they have in the past because they're spending so much time in them. So someone who, you know, 4,000 square feet might have sounded large to them before, now they're looking at, and Brad, I'm sure you see this, where they sit down with an architect and they kind of go through, well, I need four bedrooms, I need two offices, I need a gym, I'd like a playroom, and you're at 6,000 square feet, like, very easily. Yeah, it adds up quick. It does add up quick, and but people are living so much in their houses that that's what they're like looking for. So I would say a pool and outdoor space is huge for anyone moving from out of state right now. Guest quarters, because if somebody has a family member that needs to come stay with them or somebody who wants to come visit, mm-hmm. you know, that was another thing we were just talking about. We really, we love to travel, but we also have really grown to enjoy entertaining in our homes a lot more this past year. You know, having people over, the dynamic has certainly shifted. And I think that that's across the board for a lot of people, regardless of what price point you're in. So having space within your home to entertain is very important. It goes back to what you were saying. There's we everyone got away from formal dining rooms and now people want them and they want like a bar in their house or in their dining room. Like they want to be able to entertain in their space instead of going out and being amongst the masses. It's funny because we look back and having lived in Arizona through the recession, you know, people are building big homes. Maybe it's a status thing or whatever. I mean, but as we all know, people travel for work, for vacation. So home, you came and slept, but it wasn't really home, right? It was different. And then, you know, after the recession, we saw things downsize. A lot of people are building smaller homes. And now it's gone the other way. And it's not a status thing, as you mentioned. It's, hey, I want to have my family over. I want to have, you know, we're not having gatherings for work. We're not having gatherings for functions. So we're going to bring everyone to our house. And that's where it's changed the, the dynamics. So I know for those that are listening to Bill and Spec Homes, as you're thinking about that, you know, clients are demanding healthy living, right? Like, I want my house healthy. I want good air filtration, good water filtration. I want places to entertain. I want dining rooms. I want the home gym. The home gym has been essential. You know, we've had clients ask for cold plunges and dry saunas and all kinds of fun things. Why? Because who knows when the gym is going to be shut down again. And now with this new wave, you never know what's going to happen. So at least have your home can be your sanctuary, right? It could be a place to entertain, you know, family and so forth. We even, I had a wedding at my house. <laughs> so like we are even seeing buyers be like, you know, if I want to have a large party, can I do it in, in this space? Do well, I have a large enough backyard? And in that, in that interesting wave of, you know, the giant homes that were just very excessive in maybe not a great way, yeah. uh, then back down to something more manageable. And now we're on that uptick and seeing more square footage. The biggest change I think we've seen are is the thoughtfulness in a floor plan. It, it has shifted. And now there's not these funny little spaces that don't make any sense. And you go, what would I do here? Now you walk into a house and every part of it is usable and livable and it makes sense. It's not overthought. It's just very thoughtful. And I think that's a good point. And I've seen, especially with spec builders and clients, you know, as they bring the realtors in, such as you, Jennifer and Sam, is that when they're going through design, you look at homes in the 80s and 90s and you have these weird niches, you have these weird like empty spaces, uh, dust collectors, you know, up top <laughs> with these like pot shells, that, you know, for miscellaneous decor. And so that's changing. And what's happening is you don't have these little confined kitchens and confined great rooms and 13 bedrooms, which are seen as more open floor plans where people can entertain a lot of people, you know, big, great room, great kitchen, the bar, the indoor, outdoor, multi-slider. I mean, that's really key as you start thinking through that design aspect. And I would say it's it's really important. The reason we like to be involved from the beginning when we do work with spec builders is it is important to have a realtor come in and say, you know, this is what we're seeing buyers gravitate towards. Because if you're going to spend the time and the money to build a spec home, you are you want to make sure it's sellable. So you want to make sure you have a realtor involved uh, who specializes in that market, who can tell you this is what you need. You need to have X, Y, and Z. It's nice to have these other things. And, and I love that you made that point, Sam, because a lot of times we think about, well, and when you're thinking construction, it's really very key. You have your designer, your architect, your builder, maybe your landscape architect. These are key parties. But the realtor, if this is a spec home or investment, is absolutely essential because there's going to be a third party there now that's looking at this from a different aspect. 
And so when you're working with your investors, are you involved from the very beginning in design? Is there a strategy as to when that goes listed on the market? Do you say, hey, let's list it now? Do you wait till it's framed? Or does it depend on each project? It varies on each project. Um, I think on the super high-end luxury, you have to be able to give clients a visualization. And at any price point, if a project is not complete, it is hard to get a buyer to see that visualization and to see what everybody else sees behind it. Um, But on that ultra high-end, you know, especially now with build times and lead times on certain things, the goal is to get a product to market so that you can start to show it off to people and get somebody, maybe capture somebody who is interested and has the time uh, that they can wait. But for us, I think at a certain threshold, a certain price point, if it's a, a remodel, we really like to get it as close to the finish line as possible because certain things just don't translate until they're completed. With a remodel, yes. With a new build, and I would, to answer your question, it's kind of all over the place. So we ideally like to start working with someone right away. So we can get in, whether it's a remodel or a brand new build, we can get in, we can work on the floor plan, we can see what they've picked for design choices, kind of tweak some things here or there. Um, But like Jenny said, we always wait until, not always, but 90% of the time, wait till a remodel is done done and that because we're in this market we're asking top dollar for everything and so a buyer wants to see it done they don't want to come in and see you know a remodel doesn't always look great until it's completely definitely not a remodel yeah for a lot of reasons (laughs) right but with new builds i mean as soon as they're in the framing stage We'll throw them up and we'll we'll start marketing them and we'll, you know. You can walk somebody through and at least they get a feel of the space. Maybe they don't, maybe they can't visualize all the finishes. And that's what some of these, you know, photorealistic renderings are for um, and other marketing material, the fly through videos, you know, things like that. Or even getting the designers involved and having actual samples that they can put their hands on. They can feel the product. Um, But when you can walk somebody through a floor plan that's that's the first step in getting them to understand what they're really looking at. And how involved do you get with the staging? Because I know a big part of it is also it's furnished, right? Especially as a realtor, you're looking at something, a blank canvas is great, even if it's a finished remodel, but if it's furnished and the furniture matches the aesthetic layout, it's comfortable, people can see themselves. How does that impact and how involved do you get involved or how involved are you in the staging aspect? So right now we're not staging any properties. They're I mean, not lasting long enough. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. And, and to be honest, sellers don't really need to spend the money to stage it. People are coming in and they're they're buying it. As long as the finishes and the quality of construction is is great, um, we haven't been staging probably in the last nine months to a year. I think a year. And honestly, it goes back to that thoughtful floor plan. If you can walk into a home and it makes sense, you don't need anything else to prove that to you. Now. I do think that there are certain properties, even in this market, that if you have a space that is really difficult to imagine, then yes, that's where staging comes in. And we've had great success with that. So I think that staging is an incredible tool and one that should be used when needed. But in this market right now, we just haven't had people. It feels almost like a waste of money. Yeah, it's good advice, though, because I mean, but to your point, it really comes down to the beginning, right? If you have the architect and designer and realtors involved with the with the builder and you're you're spatially thinking about this house and the scale's good, you know, you know that at frame stage and the rooms are laid out that makes sense and people can envision furniture and you can walk them through yourselves essentially. And that's the key. I mean, really it's it all comes down to a good design and floor plan. Right. Yeah. It's it's for the spaces where you walk in and you go, God, where would I put so I don't know how I don't know how how would we make this work? You yeah. know, it's like those questions. When you can avoid that, then yes, get the staging in there. You know, to help out with those questions. But if so, how do you play mediator? Because this is interesting. I know sometimes in my job we have to. You know, we always tease. We should have be psychologist part, or uh, you know, as we're working with some 100%. of the couples. And, <laughs> so the realtor. I mean, you're going to have couples. You know, that both sides are totally different on what they want. And they have different expectations on budget or what they want to spend. So how do you manage that, that personality side? It's definitely a game. I mean, you have to play the game. You'll see once you take a buyer client's 
so a couple out enough times, you'll see kind of how the dynamic is and who's going to win and almost play up to that side. (laughs) (laughs) I will say, though, yes, we play to that side, but we also go in. We're a very neutral party in this, right? Our job is to be a conduit of information and being helpful throughout the process. So if... For a wife, it's important to have a giant kitchen with all of the chef's, you know, appliances and this, that, and the next thing. Then obviously we want to play up to that. We want to help show properties that have that. Maybe the husband wants to make sure that the backyard has a separate cabana space. Okay, then we play up to that. It's not necessarily which is more important. I think it's just acknowledging what everybody wants. And you know, I think that that's probably also the most important part of our job is listening. Just listen. Just listen to what your clients want. And by by listening to them, then it doesn't matter who wants what. Everybody feels heard. And that's when there's success in a transaction and in finding a perfect property. It's really good advice. I don't think enough of us listen. And I think that's really good counsel. Anything to add on that, Sam? No, I, I couldn't agree more. You do have to listen because every... If you listen, everyone can end up getting what they want in the end. Maybe not price-wise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to give somewhere. <laughs> but if the wife wants a huge kitchen and the husband wants, you know, a nice space in the backyard for a cabana, you find a great kitchen with a lot that's big enough to add a cabana. And everyone's heard. Everyone kind of gets what they want. And, I mean, I couldn't agree with Jenny more. It's 100% listening and actually actually listening and trying to get them what they want. Now we're super excited. Welcome one of our new sponsors to the podcast, Pella Windows. And this is even more exciting because we use Pella in so many of our projects, nearly all of them. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers, because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their their company culture, their integrity, their honesty. You know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. And now let's get back into the episode. So we understand the market in Phoenix and we've discussed that. How does, are you seeing this across the country? Do you mark, do you network with other realtors and brokers in other states? You know, what are you seeing on a national level outside of Phoenix? So on a national level, we do work with other agents in different areas. Um, We're part of a really lovely group of agents that are networked throughout not only the U.S., but also internationally. Um, You know, we pass around a lot of listings that we have coming soon or pocket listings, you know, really. So explain what a pocket listing is, because I know the term, but I'm sure a lot of people listening have not heard that. Sure. So a pocket listing is a property that maybe the seller does not necessarily want marketed to the masses. Or it's not ready to be marketed to the masses. Right. And so it's something where you have it in your pocket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's ready. It's co- It's going to come to market. It's right. just It's not, not on MLS where yes. it's taking days on, yes. on the MLS right. and it's maybe clocking against the property. Or, sale. It, or it would come to market if an opportunity presented itself. Right. So, um, you know, we, again, we have this really lovely network of people uh, to work with, and we always try to find creative ways to work with other agents in different areas. Uh, As far as where Phoenix falls on a national level, we are by far the highest in annual appreciation year over year. Um, We are actually at 25.9% year over year appreciation. 
which is insane. Uh, the U.S. national right now is 17.2, which is the highest it's ever been. So appreciation as a whole, we're seeing it across the board, everywhere, but specifically in Phoenix. I mean, it's off the charts. It is. It's interesting. I was just in Dallas and for fun, just looking on Zillow and look at some of the property there and just seeing the cost there. And I don't know why that is that Texas, even in the recession, didn't jump up like Phoenix did in 2006, seven because of warm climate, right? And in other parts of the country, but Phoenix has always been this hotbed. Are, are a lot of the, the reason for the growth, do you find that there are a lot of investors purchasing these homes or are they a lot of families? I mean, how's that dynamic? It's been a, 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 good, a good, healthy mix of everything um, from what we've seen. There is a lot of investors just because they're taking advantage of... Um, Low interest rates. Yes. In um, their mind, a safe way to put capital, right? Because yes. it's a more... Real estate's always a more... I shouldn't say wise, but it's a more secure investment, right? Because over time, things do appreciate typically. Yeah. Um, but we're also seeing... Lots of families, lots of second home. It's 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 been what it's always been in Phoenix. I think it's going to sound funny, but I think like the word is out. Like I feel like people for a while thought we were. It's the desert yeah. and it's hot and it's what do you really do there? And people have come here a lot. And I mean, our Airbnb business is off the charts. So people are coming here. They're experiencing Phoenix and they're seeing how much there is to do here and how easy it is to live here and wanting to, to come. So, well, Phoenix is a resort town, right? You look, it's golf, it's spas, it's luxury. People come out here. Who doesn't want to live here? I feel like even with all the travel that we do, every time I come home, I find myself driving down the street and I say to my husband, I can't believe we live here. Right? Like I love <laughs> living here. And it sounds so cheesy and so corny, but it's so true because where we live is unlike anywhere else. And even with the amount of appreciation that we've seen over the past year, we're still a very affordable place to live when you take into consideration cost of living in a lot of these other cities and taxes other places. and even home cost, even as they've appreciated as much as they have. I mean, you can still get into a decently priced home compared to what you can in a lot of different areas of the country. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I we had some peers that drove from the East Coast, and it's the cheapest gas was here really? in all the states they went through. Because even in Utah, it's like like almost $4 a gallon, you know, and you think of what it is in California, and here we're under three, right? And so, yeah, cost of living, and I echo that. I mean, I see Phoenix just, it, when I look back, when I first moved here, you know, a lot of people were in construction and real estate, and that was a big, you know, for the professionals, a lot of them were in that market. And then the recession had changed. A lot of people left construction, they moved to other states. And a lot of tech companies moved in and security companies and, you know, Amazon and, you know, Intel's grown here. And the, a lot of these big companies have moved home base here, right? American yeah. Express is here. And and so now we've seen a lot of professionals. And now with COVID, it changed that even more. As you mentioned, I mean, we have clients that are working full-time for Microsoft in the Pacific Northwest and they can work remote or they're at Amazon, as we mentioned, or Hewlett Packard, HP, and now they can be here. And so it's changed the dynamic where, it has brought a little bit more security to the net, you know, the overall, um, I should say, professionalism of, of you know, people's careers here in town. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Another interesting buyer pool that we saw over this past year were a lot of people. And I mean, this is the other side of the coin on COVID is that a lot of people grew their businesses in very interesting ways over the past year. So some a lot of local people we saw saying, hey you know, we'd like to actually upgrade our lifestyle and get a bigger home. And, um, you know, again, we would always, there was always some level of that that we would see, but I feel like we've seen that a lot more, oh, especially over the past nine months. This year in particular, in 21, a lot of people making that move. So going back to the network, when you mentioned there's a connection to realtors outside of market, and that's key because I'm sure as one of the advantages of hiring a good realtor, right, is your connections. I mean, if we want to sell something for top price, the you know, your ability to market that property outside of Phoenix, maybe in Chicago or Los Angeles, right, is going to be really key. But also here, your connection internally, your reputation with other realtors. So I, I would imagine it's a really small world, you know, <laughs> you can't burn bridges. So how is that? Because I'm sure you have a good feel of the other realtors in the market and those that 
are, you know, because in realty, like any profession, there could be a sense of selfishness in there, right? Because everyone's fighting for territory. And so how's that dynamic, you know, managing not only inside your own brokerage, but also outside of that? That's one of the most important parts of our job. And it's funny because so like as a builder, you know, there's competition and but you don't have to work together. Right. <laughs> so yeah. at the end of the point. day, you know, there's competition in who gets the listing and who, you know, has the most amount of business in a specific area. But at the end of the day, we have to work with those other people if they have a buyer or if we want to show one of their listings. So um, one of the biggest, most important parts for me and Jenny has been to maintain a really great reputation and to maintain really great relationships within the real estate community. Because you're right, it is, I mean, there's thousands, I don't even know how many thousands of realtors that are actually licensed, but the people that do business is very small. Mm-hmm. So you want to have great relationships with those people because you want them to show your properties. You want to have an easy transaction when a buyer wants to buy one of theirs. So um, that's been very important to our business. It's a small sandbox. It's so small. It's much smaller than you would think. So, and, and you're pretty unique because I know at launch, like you have a lot of talented realtors there and it's a very unique firm. So talk about that just the caliber of your immediate network. I know that you work with other brokerages in town, but just as far as launch itself. I mean, it's fantastic. There is a certain comfort level that certainly washes over you when you get a contract from another launch agent or somebody that you've worked with before and you just go, oh, okay. I I know how this is going to go already. I know that there's a certain level of respect, professionalism, communication, timeliness. I mean, all of these things that come into play, it's, it's a caliber of agent that is really unmatched. And so it makes a transaction, the start of the transaction, you're starting on the right foot. I will say too, I think that it's a lot, and you do this very well in your business, Brad, you, you don't think that there's a secret sauce that you're holding close to your chest. And at launch, we don't really either. We collaborate and we share ideas and we share what we've been doing lately and, you know, how we're seeing the market and where buyers are coming from. So I think it's super important to be able to work with these other people and collaborate with them and, and talk about what we're seeing and and give ideas and and see them as competition at the end of the day. Yes, but you all need to work together. So I think that that's a really great part of working for launch too. And I think that that's been a huge shift. So I, I mean, I've been licensed now for 10 years and at the beginning of my career, it was quite the opposite. I mean, I remember going into a certain realtor tour and feeling like, oh my gosh, nobody say anything. Don't say how you do business. Don't tell anybody what you're doing, you know, kind of act on the up and up, you know, oh, hello, but not too friendly. And it has completely changed now. Like now, if you're not the friendly one, you can't be the mean girl. Yeah. You can't like, there's no place at the table for that. So you have to be friendly. You have to be, like Sam said, willing to collaborate, share the ideas. It's through sharing with each other that more business gets done by holding it close to the chest. I mean, So what changed? I mean, what changed from early, you know, career 10 years ago, Jennifer, to now where you see this a little amicable, but at least more professional now? I, I think just in general, the world has become a lot more open and a lot not as shut off. Um, I would also say when Jenny first got into real estate, there was a lot of big names who had been in it forever. That's true. And they were kind of stuck in their ways. And, you know, over the last decade, some newer agents like ourselves have kind of got into it and and we do business a different way. Mm-hmm. And we're a little bit more open to sharing and not – you know, not seeing everyone as competition and not holding all the secret sauce to ourselves. And, you know, it's, I think that that has changed a little bit too. Well, and by sharing, then you hear what somebody else is doing. And we're not pretending like we have it all figured out either. So it's nice hearing from other people what they're doing, you know, then that's how we learn. I love that you shared that because I know you're both super active on social media too, on Instagram and, you know, which has been key in your reputation and everything. And I, I look at that very similar to construction. Construction was always like, 
<laughs> you know, it's just this really tough community and no one shared anything and took their secrets to the grave, if you will. And it, w- it was really tough. And I saw being young in Arizona, you know, competing against some of these well-established contractors that have been doing business in Silverleaf and Arcadia and Paradise Valley for a long time. Um, and some were really great to me and some not so much. And it's interesting that, you know, some of the old guards saw, hey, let's, you know, this is different now. And social media has kind of helped take some of these walls down where now we share a lot of information and how we communicate with clients and how our construction process is because it's a tough industry. As you know, realty, it's a super tough industry and it's so complex and it's, um, you know, not having that collaboration, it's really difficult to build a good brand and good reputation. But as you do that and just share your information, I love that you shared that, yeah, I don't know all the secrets either, but as I put stuff out there, people say, hey, Brad, why don't you look at doing it this way? And they're not trolls. They're just people that respect you Mm -hmm. enough to say, I see what you're doing. I believe in what you're doing, but look at this angle or do it this way. And that's been super valuable to me because it's allowed me to pivot, make changes in my career that I would not have had that opportunity if I wasn't out there and, and make myself vulnerable. When we first got on Instagram and when we started really using social media, we got we were getting a ton of business from it. And it was funny because a lot of the uh, more senior agents like kind of poo-pooed it. And they were like, why? They didn't understand it. They didn't understand why you would put yourself out there, why you would put your business there. And and we did really well. And we made no secret about it. So people would say, you know, where do you get your business? And we never... We get a lot of it off Instagram. We did. It's more referral-based now. But at the beginning, we weren't scared to put ourselves out there. We also weren't scared to say that that's how we were getting business. And this actually works. So you should try it too. Um, yeah, there's no shame in your game. Like when you're, <laughs> when you're, seriously, when you're, when you're figuring out a career, right, whatever it is, if you can focus on what it is that you want, and then decide how you get to where it is you want to be going, just do it. Yeah. Like, that's what we did. We went out there. Sure, is it uncomfortable? Does Sam hate being on video? And I'd be like, you have to put yourself on Instagram. (laughs) Do a story. She'd be like, oh, I can't believe I'm doing this. But then she'd do it, and the engagement levels go through the roof when people actually see another person, when Mm -hmm. they hear your voice. And it is nice, too, Brad, because we have had people not, trolls either just people who are engaged in what we've been doing who will say hey i saw you did you did this you should try doing this in addition to it it would really help and it's like oh my gosh i didn't even think of that thank you so much so i think social media is a, is huge and it's something that is a necessary evil i think because it is <laughs> it's kind of a pain and it's something that you know you forget about as you're going through your daily routine but it's definitely something that has helped our business Grow. Well, with all the bad things from it, it is a connector, right? At the end of the day, and it's social, be social, right? Social media for a reason. And I love that you share that, Jennifer, no shame in your game because <laughs> the reality is you just have to work hard and as you put content out and you make those connections. I mean, you're building off that. It's not anything you should shy away from. I mean, you use that to make connections and you were very intentional how both of you started building that. And then it now it gets to the point where, yeah, you have the reciprocity and the, the reputation so now, you know, especially with launch, you mentioned these transactions go so much better internal, and I'm sure they go great outside too, just with how professional the organization and, you know, your contracts and everything. So, you know, seamless, but there's still a difficulty now in this market where there's a big demand, seller's market, prices are high, people still want the, the property, but the appraisal comes in, the banks are involved, right? And we always know there's the banking aspect. So how are you managing that aspect when, there's a sales price. It's agreed to. Bank comes in, you get the appraisal. It's well under where it should, maybe not where it should be, but it's just reality. So how are you dealing with that? So about three, four months ago, we were seeing appraisals that were coming in under and going, okay, how do we deal with this? You know, Are we going to go through an appeal? Are we going to have to renegotiate through the contract? But in all honesty, the appraisals have finally caught up with the values that the properties are going under contract for. So, and that's in every price point. I mean, we've had things over $4 million that are appraising. We've had things that are under a million dollars that are appraising. I think that appraisers, which also is to me a sign that this isn't some bubble, mm-hmm. right? Because an appraiser is going to be the very first person to nix a purchase price 
just because they're, they're going to be trigger shy because of what happened when we had our crash. So when appraisers are behind these prices that these properties are getting, they're comfortable with you know, where everything is in the market and you see the trajectories and you see, okay, nope, everything is still on this upward trend. Nothing's coming down. Nothing's decreasing. I mean, we've been very, very fortunate with all of our appraisals. I will also say it kind of goes back to the staging aspect where it is a seller's market right now. So if something does come in that hasn't appraised and an appraisal wasn't discussed up front, which you know, in this market, we have done a lot of. So an appraisal is discussed up front. You know, we know it's not going to appraise, but you're willing to pay this price for the house. So you're waiving your appraisal contingency up front. If we haven't done that and it comes in short, we kind of, sellers have the upper hand right now. All right, we're just going to go back on the market then. And somebody out there for a good property, a quality property, someone's going to pay it. Well, it comes down to expectations, as you mentioned, Sam. I mean, if mm-hmm. you're setting the expectation, hey, th- this is a good value, but it may not appraise, you know, the customer understands at the end of the day what they're going to be responsible for, that difference right mm-hmm. out of pocket. Now, with that, how important is the lending? I, I would imagine that a lot of your buyers are cash buyers, but you still have some that are going through the traditional financing. And I'll say we, we kind of have a split, you know, about half my customers are cash and half are finance. And the ones that are finance, I know that the banks are asking a lot more. So even though the appraisals may be there, as you mentioned, Jennifer, they're still saying, okay, well, they have to come to the table with the first 50% and then they'll get a loan for the next 50. So the bank still put himself in a leveraged position. But how important is that relationship for you from the banking side, lending side? Do you have, that, do you, do you have to babysit that the whole 30 days, make sure your clients don't go buy four cars during while you're in escrow? <laughs> We've oh, had your lender is so important. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh and we've had buyers who like, oh, I, I was I bought a new car. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. So can't you just wait two more weeks? Yeah. You know? <laughs> it is a hundred percent setting the expectations up front for the buyer. As important as it is having a good lender relationship, because the real estate process and finding a home can be like the fun and exciting part. But as soon as you go under contract and your lender wants every single document document you've mm-hmm. ever signed, buyers become extremely frustrated. So letting them know up front, a lender is going to want X, Y, and Z. You need to get it to them as fast as you possibly can. You need to make this a priority. They're going to, you know, terms might change throughout the deal. Like you need to make sure that their expectations are set because I don't think even the best of lenders are going to communicate that to them. Um, and in addition to that, you have to have a good lender on your side. And we have three that are really good and all good at different things. So one's good at VA loans. We actually just closed. We have two deals actually right now. One was our own buyer who was going through a big bank using a VA loan, and it was falling apart. And they wanted, they thought if if they didn't go through a big bank, they weren't going to get their veteran all the things that you get from having a veteran-associated loan. Mm. But we sent them to a private lender who had them put 0% down. They came to the closing table with $110. And so they got all the benefits of being a veteran and having a, a veteran loan. And we still closed on time. And so I think having expectations set and having lenders who specialize in different air, have little, having their own little niches. A VA loans one. We have a really good lender who works with um, people who are self-employed because a lot of lenders don't like that. It's a lot more paperwork. It's a lot more risky. So we have a really good lender who works with all self-employed borrowers. So having these people in your back pocket is huge. How involved do both of you get with like proof of funds for your client as you're looking at property? Oh, very. I mean, for us, having proof of funds or having that pre-qualification and even taking it a step further on a pre-qualification, you know, if we're listing, well, either listing for buyer or seller and we have a pre-qual, we're calling that lender. It's not like, oh, yeah, thanks. Great. Box checked. Got it. Moving right along. No, we're calling that lender. We're asking them the questions. Hey, have you talked to them? How well do you know them? What kind of documentation do you have? What are they actually approved for? Now let's talk about you. What's your realistic timeline? 
because a lot there's a lot of smoke and mirrors that can happen in the lending institutions. And believe me, it's just like any industry, right? There's awesome, awesome, awesome lenders. There's not such awesome lenders as well. So you need to do some due diligence. And it's okay to switch lenders. It's okay to find somebody that matches your needs and what you need to do. But it's important to do that up front because that's a messy situation to get into when you're in the middle of a transaction. Well, and especially in this market, you need your buyers to be pre-qualified. So it's not even, I feel like in years past, it might have been almost rude to ask, like, well, what's your proof of funds? Well, have you been pre-qualified yet? Um, but now they have to because if they find something they like and they want to pull the trigger, you need you need that documentation. Yeah, and you have to understand if there's contingencies, if they have a house to sell mm-hmm. or other they have a complicated business structure and yes. it's hard to prove their wages. I mean, all these things come come down for your ability to close the transaction. Right. So, and what are we really doing here if... Otherwise, you're wasting your time. Right. So if you're not doing the due diligence, it's funny because I, I the analogy for me in building is, you know, sometimes I'll have customers that'll be like, Brad, I can get a cheaper price. Like, okay, here's our cabinet number. I can get a cheaper number. And I try to explain to them, okay, 5% of this transaction is finding a cheap price, Right getting someone to bid it, put that bid together, good price. Now the 95%, can they perform? Is the quality there? Are they going to hit the deadline? Are they going to pick up the phone? Are they going to warranty it, right? That's the heavy lifting that no one looks at. They just look at the sticker shock, right? And I'm sure for for realtors, it's the same. 5% is getting that accepted offer. But the 95% is now managing the next 30 to 60 days, all the the inspection period, the lending, as you mentioned, and all the little nuances that come with it. And that's the hard part that no one sees. Yeah. I mean, with with the uh, market supply being as low as it is, maybe it's more like 15%. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. But, but I will say, though, that that remaining percentage, it, it, you know, it's funny to see how many people celebrate when something goes under contract. We don't celebrate until close. after close of escrow. Because my, my sister is actually the perfect example where I'm helping her. She's moving back to Phoenix right now from Texas and I'm helping her in a transaction. And she was on the phone with her girlfriend. She said, yeah, I bought a house. And she sent her all the pictures. And I said, no, you didn't. And she looked at me. She goes, what do you mean? I'm like, you went under contract on a house. <laughs> and they actually ended up falling out of contract on the oh, house wow. that she had sent her friend. And I said, see, that's it. Until it closes, you have not bought the house. It is not yours. You do not celebrate. You can get excited and start planning, but it's not done yet. There's a lot that can happen, and it's emotional, and it's hard to keep people's emotions in, in check. check. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting, but you, you mentioned the due diligence side and the questions you're asking, and I think that's what separates you, Jennifer, and Sam, from everyone else. And so, you know, was it uncomfortable, or where did that, I, I should say, where was that turning point when you had the confidence to go in and say, we need to ask for proof of funds. We're going to call the lender. We're going to start asking the right questions. Because at some point, there's a spot in your career where you have confidence, where you could push back on the client, not in a bad way, but in a professional way. Say, no, I've been down this road. And, and maybe it's off of bad experiences. I've had this with certain conversations where I've made mistakes. So if you don't do it this way, I already know what's going to happen. Yeah, it's a it's a learning curve. I mean, you have a couple of transactions that go a certain way and you make an internal decision that you will never put yourself through that again. And that with confidence comes comfortability for everyone. You know, you ask for these things and if it's not an issue, then nobody's uncomfortable. If somebody's uncomfortable, maybe that's a red flag. I think to Jenny's point, it's um, after every transaction, we sit down, the two of us and say, okay, what did we learn? What will we never do again? And that has brought a lot of confidence because it's, I don't want to put my, myself in that situation again. I will say a lot of, a lot of that too just comes with getting ourselves to a point in our business where we don't want to work with every single person that comes along. Where at the beginning, we didn't have that choice. So anyone that came along, we would take you, we would do whatever you wanted, you know. And they may not be a great client for you. Right. Right. Yeah. And they may not be pre-qualified because we wouldn't right. even ask. Yeah. And you're now, just happy to get a phone call. Yes. We're just happy to have somebody to take around and and help buy a house. And and we've learned that that's just going to be a waste of everyone's time if you're not doing it the proper way. Well, it's interesting. I mean, that's the quote right there. With confidence comes comfortability, right? So now, as you become more of an expert in the market in the last 10 years, I mean, 
without calling out a certain city or neighborhood in Phoenix, I mean, what is it about certain neighborhoods that are more attractive to other buyers? We were laughing at this question (laughs) (laughs) because I think it's, it's so specific to the, the buyer. Like there are people who love DC ranch and Silverleaf and would never live anywhere else. There are other people who are in paradise Valley who say, I won't go that far North. I would never live up there. So I think that, it's totally different for everyone. I think, you know, we're a little spoiled to work in what we think are the best neighborhoods. Um, we love Arcadia. We love Paradise Valley. We love pretty much all of Scottsdale. Um, but we work, I mean, even like I just said, my sister bought a house. We we went out to the East Valley and she got a great house in an awesome neighborhood in Gilbert. So there are great neighborhoods everywhere. It just kind of depends on what exactly you're looking for. And that's why Arizona is so attractive, I think, to so many people is that we don't have this one perfect neighborhood. We have so many perfect neighborhoods that fit the needs of so many different clients. And that same neighborhood can be for a family, can be for a young doctor who's single, can be for some empty nesters who are downsizing. I mean, there's such a nice blend of neighbors within all of these communities. And I think that that's why people love Arizona. They feel comfortable everywhere. So I'd imagine that goes in your questionnaire, essentially, like when we're meeting a client and we're vetting that ideal client, I mean, for you, you're going to ask them how they're living. You know, what do you like to go out to restaurants, right? Are they like Mm -hmm. quiet? Do they want night sky compliance, right? Like in Paradise (laughs) Valley where you can't have lights shining up. And so, you know, a lot of this goes into understanding what the client wants, and then that helps you put them where they need to be. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we always like to, when we get a new buyer, to take them around, drive them around, show them the areas. Someone from out of state. Somebody from out of state who's unfamiliar. Take them around. Hey, how does this feel? Let's go drive through McCormick Ranch. Let's go over to the Biltmore. You know, let's let's test these areas out. And then we tell them, here, take a day. You go drive around. Go see these areas. Let us know what you think. So that then we can kind of start to hone in really on what they're looking for instead of just throwing you know, darts at a wall. I mean, who knows if you're going to hit or not. So it's it's good to kind of give them a little introduction, let them do a little bit of legwork, see what they feel comfortable with, and then really dive into the detail. So are there ever days where you're like, what am I doing? Why am I a realtor? Like, what's the hardest part about being a realtor? Because <laughs> even now, I'm sure it's not just perfect all the time. So. We have had, I think, two specific days recently. Um, I'm six months pregnant and right during the beginning of my pregnancy, I was really sick and I didn't want to do anything. And I, I passed everything off to Jenny. (laughs) And at one point she looked at me, she goes, I thought you were going to call me and and say, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm like, no, I was just sick. And, you know, and then Jenny's had, she had a, she just finished an awful transaction. And I was like, now are you going to quit? (laughs) and she's like no so you know you always have days like that and it's I think that that's why it's really nice to have a partner because when you do have a bad day or when you do you know are dealing with a bad transaction or some bad stuff in your personal life it's nice to have somebody else to kind of pass things off to or to call and vent to so we can call and say oh my god this was just this was the worst day ever I want to fire this client. <laughs> I want to, you know, whatever the situation is, it's nice to have somebody to bounce that kind of stuff off of. Because you have a sounding board. Sometimes I think just hearing yourself say some of it out loud too, you're like, ah, well, maybe that wasn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> like sometimes you just have to word vomit and like get it all out yes. and feel a certain way and then keep it moving. But it's just like any other business. I mean, I'm sure you have days too where you're like, am I really doing this? Right. It's just like, <laughs> but then- 95% of the time you love your job and it's why you do it. And it's why you keep doing it. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's some truth, I think, you know, for the realtors, for contractors, restaurant business, maybe airlines. I mean, you, sometimes that client interaction and that client experience, that certain client can like make things sour for everything. Mm-hmm. And part of that maybe is like our lack of due diligence or our lack of setting proper expectations. I mean, there are a lot of factors there. Sometimes you just have a bad apple and it just sours the whole process for everybody. Yeah. So what's interesting about you both is not just the realty side, which we spent most of this podcast on, but you're also 
essentially a little bit in my market, you're doing a little bit of construction, you're doing, you know, some investments and stuff. And so what opened that door? Um, so my husband and I used to flip houses a long time Here ago. Here locally in Phoenix? Here locally in Phoenix. Um, he has become more of a custom and spec home builder instead of a flipper. Um, and when Jenny and I first partnered up, that was one of our big goals. We just love the design aspect and the whole aspect of, of remodeling. And so when we first partnered up, that was one of our big goals. We're going to flip a house together. And we never really could afford to do it. And when our, our career got to a point where we could, we were like, okay, let's do it. And we dove in with both feet and we loved it. And it's become one of like the most favorite parts of our job. Yeah, it's exciting. It, I love walking into a house and seeing the potential. Like I'm, I feel like we're those people. Like we can walk in anywhere and go, does it work? Yes or no. And it's pretty instantaneous of knowing whether or not something's going to work. And then just looking at that space and deciding like what, what feels best here? What would a buyer like the most about this space? I mean, it, it gets the creative side of it. So there's, you know, sometimes the high tensions of dealing with lots of personalities and, you know, the ins and outs of every transaction. But then that creative side where we get to go into a property and kind of reimagine it. I mean, that's that's been a really nice and go shopping together. Yeah, and right? finish it. <laughs> yeah. We really enjoy that part of our job. Well, and this isn't insider trading. The 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 unique thing about what you're doing is you have so much experience walking homes and working with builders and seeing so many homes over the years to what work, what doesn't, what are clients looking for? Mm -hmm. And so it really helps you as you walk into property, you can essentially envision, yeah, this is what it could become. This is a great area of town. You know, so from the finish side, are you involved in all the selections as well from the design side? Yeah, we do it 100% ourselves. That's amazing. And then we've also recently started taking on our investors will use us. Uh, to design it To design everything. the whole thing. Yeah. They saw a couple of our projects and we it was not even something that we were like, like offering or being yeah. like hey we're gonna do this now it was just they saw pictures of our projects and said well hey you know could we bring you on for this and it's a huge honor you know that's um and it's so much fun it we is. don't take ourselves too seriously i mean we're and we're in and out of it's like you said we're in and out of so many houses with buyers that you see what the trends are. You see what people are gravitating towards, what people really want in their houses. So it's it's really easy for us to and fun for us to do, you know. Well, and, and really the success of any company, it doesn't matter your market, is bringing value, right? Mm -hmm. And so, as you mentioned, as you now have this opportunity where you have the investment side, you understand the design side and selections, what clients are looking for. As you're working with your clients or investors and you solve that pain point, that value add, that, yeah, not only can we help list this and we have the network, we've built this reputation, we can help design it and we know what clients want. I mean, it's just a whole package. It's an easy selection for the contractor. Well, and it's easy. It's easy for everybody. It's easy for the contractor. It's easy for the investor because we can go in and we can say, you can take down this pony wall here, open this up here, do this. We can make it very easy for everyone where you don't have to get involved at all. So what do you both like to do for fun? Travel. Travel. We ski. Yeah. We have, I have two boys. Sam's about to have her second boy. So we have like a little boy tribe. <laughs> <laughs> so they all play together. But no, we love to travel. And, and how did you two meet? In college at ASU. So we've been friends for like 15 years. And then Jennifer, you're the first one to go into real estate, even though you were doing flips before Sam? Yeah, so I lived in Chicago when Jenny got her real estate license here. It's where my uh, husband is from. Um, and when I moved back here, after I decided I couldn't deal with another <laughs> Chicago another winter, winter <laughs> um, we were we had already been, my husband and I had already been investing in flips, and I didn't know what I was going to do. And so I said, "Oh, maybe I'll get my real estate license." And I, I talked to Jenny about it, and we didn't talk about partnering her up because. She was like, you need to make sure you like it because our friendship is too important. And it literally, I think, was like a month. I did two transactions. I was like, I love this. <laughs> um, and we've partnered ever since. 
And what made you get into real estate, Jennifer? Uh, so <laughs> this is such a silly answer. I thought there was going to be great flexibility to have a family <laughs> and do all the things I needed to get done in a day's time, yeah. which is, I mean, as you know, it's just yeah. completely ridiculous. And like, it's one of those things I hear myself say out loud now. And I'm just like, I got to come up with a different answer for this question. <laughs> um, but it's true. I mean, you think, yeah, I'm going to have time, be a mom and yeah. other things in a career. And it's like way more involved than I'm sure you imagine. It, I mean, anyone is. who's successful in any business, is, though, yeah. you just you, you be a spend yeah. all your time doing it. Yeah. And we do, we do still have, I mean, you bring the boys to school in the morning. Like, no, I make it a point to have my time with them. I think that where, where it can get, I get a little mom guilt is, you know, popping in and out of the house. No, mommy, don't leave. Oh, please stay. You have to go to another house. You know, I mean, it's like, oh, just rip my heart out. But at the same time, I'm, I'm very proud of this business that has been built. And I know that the boys, will see that. And that to me is very important for them to see as well. And so, um, you know, it's, there's two sides to it for sure. Darren, you two have done a phenomenal job, amazing reputation, built an incredible business. And so what's upcoming and exciting for AZ Luxury Home Group? Um, <laughs> well, we have, so like Sam said, we have a lot of investors. We have several investor projects that are coming, which are all so gorgeous. We have a new spec build actually that we're super excited about. We're going to list. Yes. There's there's starting framing, so I think we're going to list next week. But the renderings are beautiful. It's going to be like just over seven million. Wow. In PV. Wow. So we're really excited about that one. Super unique. Just a total showpiece. Yeah. So there's some really fun stuff we have coming up. That's exciting. Where can our listeners find you? I mean, the best is our Instagram. So you can come see us be awkward <laughs> on our stories. <laughs> so our Instagram is AZ Luxury Home Group. And we try to have a nice blend of content showing off listings that we have, inspiration photos from design around the world. And then... Um, and our website is the same, www.azluxuryhomegroup.com. Well, you've both been amazing, Jennifer and Sam. Thank you so much for Thanks making so time Thanks so much for having us. Thanks for having us, Brad. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.